This is Vulnerability Matters from the Money Advice Trust. Hello, hello. Welcome to Vulnerability Matters from the Money Advice Trust. I'm Chris Fitch. Just like vulnerability, trust matters. It can determine what products we buy, which organisations we agree to let deliver our essential services, and just what we tell these firms about ourselves. But how do we decide who is trustworthy and who is not? How do organisations build trust with us or repair it when trust is damaged or lost? And why is vulnerability at the heart of all of this? As ever, I had no idea about any of this myself, so I asked someone in the know, the behavioural scientist Charlie Nixon. And while Charlie's everyday job at Cowrie Consulting is behavioural architect manager, I like to think of him as our very own Taoiseach of trust, a leader of all the answers, evidence and behavioural experiments to bring this all to life. Charlie, welcome to Vulnerability Matters. Uh, We're talking today about the concept of trust. Now, even if everyone can't agree who we should trust these days, we all still agree that trust is important, both in our personal and our work lives. But what exactly does trust mean to you as a behavioural scientist? Um, Well, firstly, thanks for having me, Chris. Um, And I'm going to start with what sounds like the kind of easy cop-out answer, but trust and kind of behavioural science in general is heavily context dependent and it can be different for different people. So trust might be for one person how reliable someone is, how personable or intimate they are, or it might just be that they're simply someone who gets things done they kind of ask to do something and they deliver. But kind of what we see through these different contexts, through these different perceptions is that trust quite broadly has three key characteristics. So firstly, it grows over time. So if we think about when you meet somebody for the first time, you might think that they're credible, they're a good person, they seem like a nice person, but This isn't really the case with trust. Very rarely do you meet someone and after the first interaction, you say, I trust them. However, what you do say is that they seem trustworthy or somebody I could trust. And that's kind of shows kind of the really more complex nature of trust compared to first impressions or kind of general perceptions of people. I think this ties really well into the second point. So we usually find that trust has a strong emotional connection and it certainly does require it but it's also quite rational and i really like taking this back to the great work of daniel kahneman who's a nobel prize winner for behavioral science in his book thinking fast and slow he talks about system one and system two essentially these processes which help us navigate the world help us make decisions so system one in the cerebellum makes fast automatic judgments So think of this as like your gut instincts or in terms of trust, is the other person making eye contact or not? What are these kind of quick body cues that they're making, which might make them feel a bit shifty or somebody who might be hiding something? System two, so in our prefrontal cortex, a lot more deductive, a lot more effortful and also quite cognitively taxing. So here in relation to trust, really thinking about do do they have consistent actions is what they're saying does that make sense and does that line up with everything else that they've told you 
And then finally, what kind of is a really nice way of tying it all together is trust is a two-way relationship. You can't have a trusting relationship on your own. Trust cannot exist in a vacuum. There always needs to be that one person who has a relationship with the other and vice versa. I think those kind of three key characteristics really show time and time again through anybody's kind of different interpretation of who they trust or who they think they could trust. Absolutely. I like the reference to the cerebellum, not a small village in Spain, um, but part, part, of the, part of the brain there. It's, um, so can you, can you give us some examples of why trust matters so much to us and how we should be thinking about trust in relation to consumer vulnerability? Absolutely. So I think, as you said at the start, Chris, trust is incredibly important in both personal and in our kind of working lives in the workplace. And I think trust matters so much because as humans, kind of at our core, we're, we're social creatures. And trust is essentially kind of one of those key cornerstones of a successful social relationship, mainly because of the psychological safety it gives us. And it also allows us to seek that personal and individual fulfillment in our lives through other people. In the workplace, there are there's there's a number of countless papers which show that trust within your team leads to better outcomes, better team performance, as teammates essentially feel more comfortable to question others, understand what they're trying to work work towards, build each other up, and then they're better driving towards that common kind of shared goal. Thinking a bit more higher level than your team, and then in leaders specifically. So again, we know that trusted leaders are better at retaining employees at bottom to the kind of more senior level. And these businesses are more likely to outperform competitors when that leader's vision is, is trusted and therefore kind of more respected and followed. And I think you can almost imagine it as anybody listening to this can experience that that level of trust or having that trust, it removes a lot of that friction which comes in the form of doubt or questioning somebody's ideas or ideology kind of removes that from the table allows you to bring everything forward giving everything you've got without that question or hesitation and in terms of vulnerable customers specifically i mean what what do we think what's the relationship there thinking about customers and specifically those who might be considered vulnerable chris trust plays an incredibly crucial role in how they perceive and communicate with a business as a whole. So as many listeners will most likely know, and a lot of the work that Money Advice Trust does, vulnerability or that feeling of being vulnerable is an incredibly emotional experience. And when somebody is in this this mindset, they're at this point in their life, they need to be communicated and supported in the right way, particularly around validating these emotions, not dismissing or discrediting them. And giving them that level of support and signposting where needed. And I think where trust comes in really well in the sense of vulnerability was really highlighted to me in a piece of piece of research that I've been doing over the end of last year and the start of this year, particularly around vulnerability disclosure. So if I am a customer who is vulnerable, I um, where am I willing to disclose this piece of information to my pension provider, my retail bank, my insurance provider? And I think one of the key insights that we found was there is a wealth of research and insights around beliefs of consequences. So 
if I tell Retail Bank this vulnerability, what what are they going to do with that information? How are they going to treat me differently? Will they treat me as a second class citizen? How will they store that information? How will they go and share that information with other businesses, which may impact my life? And all of these consequences are almost surrounded by that that concept of trust. Do I trust this business to use my personal information and use it in the right way? So it's not just more of that transactional relationship with something like someone like your bank or your pension provider. It's more of that emotional side, which kind of goes within some of those key characteristics of trust. That's fascinating. And this is a new area. We're sharing things which are very personal and sensitive about us in perhaps such a regular way is very different to um, our relationships with uh, banking, energy, water, retail. So, so this is a new era. But how long have behavioural scientists like yourself been interested in trust? Is there a science of trust that we, we can tap into? So I think thinking about behavioural science in general, I think for me, what I love about the field and learning about this is it completely changes your view of the world, how you you interact with people, how you see people interacting with each other, how you can see your own behaviours and understanding why you're making such decisions in a certain way. Um, and I don't know if you've been watching The Traitors on BBC, Chris, um, but there is a fantastic psychological or behavioural science game being played by some people on this show in kind of brilliant ways, how they forge alliances, they build these levels of trust with people, whether they are a faithful or a traitor. And you can really see how these different behavioural biases that apply and also that level of trust completely changes people's decision-making and how they interpret the context which is around them. But I think thinking about some of the work that we do with our clients, both with invulnerability and wider projects in general, being able to build trust or reciprocal relationships is key to creating better customer and employee experiences. So as I mentioned earlier, kind of trust is inherently social and these social contracts we create with people can dictate the influence people have on us and the influence that we have on other people. Um, and when we have that two-way relationship, we build that reciprocal relationship with another person. This really starts, it's almost like a dance, if you will, Chris, of like kind of you do something for somebody, they're more likely to do something for you. And this kind of dance of reciprocity almost brings you closer together and builds those more social emotional bonds, which builds that level of trust. This kind of concept known as reciprocity in behavioural science is exactly that. So we create these social contracts. If somebody goes out of their way to do something for us, where we feel more inclined to return the favour and often a greater benefit in kind. That's really, really fascinating, Charlie, about the, the way in which uh, trust um, is, well, how it grows over time. Uh, that rational and emotional level, that two-way element as well, and how behavioural science are approaching this. But what makes someone, or be it a person or an organisation, trustworthy? Um, or maybe putting their way untrustworthy. Now, I think behavioural science has got an equation for this. Can you walk, walk us through it? Yeah, absolutely. So I think firstly, we've got credibility. So really showcasing your experience and expertise, the words that you use. Uh, next is reliability. 
So keeping your promises and acting in a reliable way. Next after that is intimacy. So are you building that emotional connection with somebody? Are you kind of opening yourself up in a slightly vulnerable way? And then finally, there is self-orientation. So are you, do you have a big ego? Are you focused on yourself or are you focused on others? Kind of giving them the opportunity to grow and be be better people themselves. So a, a great example of seeing the trust equation in practice was in the traitors this season, which I referred to earlier. And I think going to quickly pause here for any spoilers for people who are watching or kind of watching it back. So Harry, who won this season of The Traitors, he he was a traitor from day one. And I think he did a perfect perfect trust equation almost of being able to get those people around him who essentially flat out said, I think you are 100% faithful. I trust you completely. And I think to break that down, so credibility. He mentioned early on that his role is a helicopter engineer in the army, kind of having that knowledge of working in the army gives him that credibility it's that almost there's that authoritative cue pulling on that authority bias for reliability really focusing on his actions he was consistent in the challenges to get money adding it to the pot he always delivered and most people in this program if you are working hard for the team to get the money you are more likely to be deemed faithful uh intimacy so thinking about his emotions he opened up he created emotional bonds with people there was even a scenario when he essentially banished a, another another contestant who was also in the army, which really upset him, kind of going against his core values as a fellow kind of man of man of the army. And that vulnerability allowed him to open up and build that emotional connection even more. And then finally, self-orientation. So he was always working hard in the challenges. There was even one challenge where he had the chance of adding seven grand to the pot or taking that seven grand and putting it in his own bank account. He chose to put it back into the pot, giving it to the team, kind of putting his ego aside, which we know is a lot more favorable with, with the masses starting to build, reducing that ego and really kind of heighten that level of trust. So almost a perfect game for him. And he really built that trust to the point where the final person at the end with him was quite upset by the fact that he was a traitor and she lost all the money and her share of 95 grand really really interesting now, there was so much emphasis um charlie and, and rightly so on emotions and emotional states and um depth of connection but we do live in a digital world um and a digital era is there anything we need to do differently to build trust with vulnerable customers over digital channels non-voice channels based on your, your learnings and insight yeah, it's a very interesting question, and I think it is a a topic which is ever-evolving, ever-growing, particularly as technology advances. I feel like it, it wouldn't be a podcast in 2024 if you didn't talk about AI and chatbots, but I think there is a really interesting part of the trust equation, which I think stands true with, in my eyes, how you would build a good AI or chatbot to support any customer or especially someone who is potentially vulnerable so we want them to be reliable we would want this chatbot or ai to be consistent and we want them to feel real we want them to feel personal not going as to far as the extreme where people might feel like robots are taking over the world and there's that weird awkwardness of how real 
a chatbot is, but we don't want them to feel like a cold robot. We want them to, particularly for somebody who is vulnerable, understand their emotions, their situation, provide that validation for them whilst giving them the support that they need. And I think in terms of self-orientation, I think that's ultimately down to the creator of the chatbot or the AI. I think usually by definition, these are quite kind of serving tools, which are to the benefit of customers, to the benefit of businesses. So I think self-orientation won't be necessarily an issue for these digital channels, but how you can build in that kind of credibility, reliability and intimacy, I think is three core tenets of any type of AI moving forward. That's really interesting. So we can't get away from the fact that all of these four pillars, uh, whether we apply them to digital or to other forms of contact with customers, uh, these four pillars all contribute to making us uh, trustworthy or making our organization trustworthy, people trust in us. But just as trust can be gained, it can be lost and often perhaps more quickly than the time taken to build that trust with a customer. Are there any strategies from behavioral science to rebuild trust if it's temporarily lost? Absolutely. And I think you kind of really hit the nail on the head there. I think there's the saying of like, it takes a lifetime to build trust and you can lose it in a second. And I think that really amplifies the the emotional connection that people have with trust. Um, so what I really like about the trust equation is it's essentially a tool that you can use and you can start plugging in these numbers to really understand where your kind of level of perceived trust is at the moment and particularly how you can start either building that or improving on that in key areas. So how it works is you essentially are getting a score out of 10 for all the four elements. So getting the perfect score would be a 10 for credibility, a 10 for reliability, and a 10 for intimacy, and then a one for self-orientation. So taking it to a possible score out of 30. And this is a really great tool that kind of working at Cari, we've used with business leaders and managers within an organization to see how trustworthy there are. There's a fantastic report from PwC, which essentially sees this trust gap where leaders think that they are trustworthy significantly more than the rest of their employees. And it really shows the value of the different perceptions of trust, not just within one part of the business, but at every level. Um, and you would do this, you could do this with your team, you could do this with your leaders. Um, it's certainly not the way to do it, but if I was going to do it for myself right now, I think I would say I'd probably give myself a seven for credibility, a seven for reliability. I'd say I give myself an eight for intimacy. I do usually wear my heart on my sleeve, show a lot of emotion. I'd kind of try and be as personal as possible. So that gave me you know, kind of what, 22. But actually, I think sometimes I can be quite driven by my own ego, be a little bit self-serving. So I might give myself a six there. So that gives me a score of, I'll do the quick maths, 3.6. If you've got any better maths than me, Chris, 3.6 out of 30 isn't, isn't the best score, but it definitely shows me where I can start improving that. And it also shows how the importance of self-orientation in this equation, kind of being that kind of dividing factor. Amazing. I, I look forward to that clip being played in your next uh, performance appraisal. 
Charlie. It's uh, in terms <laughs> of the absolute no, it's really, really interesting. So, trying to find out more, um, how do we uh, how do we learn more about you, Charlie, in, in your work, and who else should we listen to, read, or search out on the web about trust itself? Absolutely. So, you can find me on on LinkedIn if you want to reach out. So, Charlie Nixon. You can also find myself at Cowrie Consulting. So, we're an applied behavioral science consulting firm. Um, I think for any additional content on trust, I think much as I've talked about the trust equation today, there is a book on this very equation by David Meister. And that's a fantastic book to start with. There's also another fantastic book from Ken Rotenberg called The Psychology of Trust. Um, and I think finally, there is a brilliant article in the Harvard Business Review, which talks about trust from a neuroscientific level. So it's talking about the work of Paul Zak and his role in kind of identifying oxytocin as the hormone for building trust. So injecting people with oxytocin makes them more likely to trust somebody and trying to identify it on a hormonal level as well. Why, as why, why are researchers so interested in injecting people with stuff, Charlie? We never get away from it. <laughs> it's kind of a, absolutely fantastic. Thank you ever so much, Charlie Nixon, for joining us. Um, and do look out, uh, look up Charlie. Uh, and some of the work he's mentioned. Absolutely fascinating conversation. Thank you very much. And that was Charlie Nixon from Cowrie Consulting. As ever, LinkedIn and the World Wide Web, as I believe no one calls it these days, is where you'll find Charlie and Cowrie, and the links to the resources that Charlie mentioned are listed in the text that accompanies the podcast. That is about it for today, as no one has sent me a question about the most recent podcast. Shame on you. I'm now headed to my local car boot sale with 250 Vulnerability Matters mugs and an old ball worker that I found in the attic. However, if you want a mug and can't make it down to the Lee Valley car boot sale this weekend, I'm next to the discount toilet roll stall, do drop me a line via LinkedIn with a comment or question and the mug is all yours. I might even throw in the ball worker too. So thanks again for listening and until our next conversation, Keep on building the trust, keep on spreading the word, and keep on remembering that vulnerability matters. Vulnerability Matters was produced by Mandy McGreevy and Phil King and brought to you by the Money Advice Trust.